Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Last week on Fill in the Blanks, probably most people know you from presiding over the Dr. Larry Nasser case. He's the doctor, and I use that term loosely, who abused so many of the gymnasts. I allowed them to speak for seven days. He pled, and then the sentencing took seven days because that many women came forward. It's the backstory that really enlightens me on how best to sentence them. Did you say to him, I just signed your death warrant? I did. Do you regret saying that? I don't regret anything. I don't think there was any question that he had such breaks with reality that he didn't know the difference between right and wrong. He clearly showed no signs of remorse. The only signs of remorse that I saw were that no one believed him anymore and that he lost control. It just seems to me that he's probably safer in prison than he is on the street with a lot of fathers out on the street knowing what he did to their daughters. I think he would be in harm's way if he was walking around on the street. Agreed. And now, more with Judge Rosemarie Aquilina. I was really pleased that all of these women got an opportunity to speak out. It's interesting because I had a number of judges, literally from all over the world, but a a lot from my community and and others in Michigan and, and Texas and New York and all over America saying, I'm looking at what you're you're doing and I'm going to do that. But I did have a few who said, you are an embarrassment and you should not be on the bench. And what was their point of view? Why? That was it. That I would get emails, text messages, messages on my phone. Um, there's no reason just that I was an embarrassment. Um, they were all men. No offense to the male population because there's a lot of good men out there. But there are a lot of male judges who... Um, I guess wanted to spend time on the golf course not listening. I mean, if you don't want to be a judge, don't be a judge. If you want to be a judge, listen to the people, spend the time. So they were upset that you set the bar. And so now if they don't let people speak, they're going to look bad by comparison? Yes. And the thing is, I've always done that. I didn't just do it for Nasser. I've always done it. The first day I took the bench, my clerk came over and said, They say, you're spending too much time. I said, so I get paid the same. Um, And, you know, sheriff wanted his people back. Attorneys wanted to go back to their offices and meet with clients. But I'm going to take as much time as it dictates, depending on what's in front of me, so I get the whole story, so I make a good decision. I sleep well at night. You said in the beginning that the girls were mad at you and wanted you gone. Why? Because in the beginning of the case, I was told by the lawyers that there were experts on both sides. And I thought it was the cross between a criminal case and a medical malpractice case. And I thought, how interesting. And then all the girls were out there talking, well, not all, but very vocal girls were talking to the media. And I needed to get a clean jury for both sides. You have to have a fair and impartial jury for both sides. And I couldn't do that 
it was very clear to me that if they kept talking, it was going to be very difficult to have a jury, and it was already going to be difficult. So I put a gag order, and everyone was mad at me. And then I redid it and limited it a little bit more. But uh, I kept the gag order until sentencing because we needed a clean jury. Once he was going to plead, it didn't matter. But how do you get a jury? Where was I going to get a jury if the headline was always about Nasser? I'm curious about that. You know, having been the one that's tasked with making jury selections time and time again in concert with the lawyers, in really high-profile cases, my experience has been gag orders always benefit the defendant, never benefit the plaintiffs who want to tell their story. The defendants never want the story told because they want to you know, tamp down everything. And if it's a high-profile case, then the story's out there. I mean, it's already in the news. It's already in the media. And the victim wants to tell their story. They find it cathartic to tell their story. If a judge puts a gag order on it and muzzles them, they always tell me they feel like I'm, I'm having my freedom of speech taken away. I'm a victim here, and now they're telling me I can't talk about it because it'll taint the jury pool. The story's already all over Hell and Half Acre, and now I can't talk about it. And my belief was always that the test of an acceptable juror is not whether they've heard about the case or not, but whether or not they can be fair and impartial and follow the judge's instructions. Not whether they've heard the case. I mean, hell, they can be one of the party's cousin under the law if they can follow your instructions and set aside anything they may know about the case. They're an acceptable juror, correct? Correct. And I, I follow your line, but here's mine. <laughs> okay. Right. So I, for NASA, I had ordered 800 jurors and we had an extra set of jury instructions and all of that. There was a whole other process. And maybe we would have needed 2,000 jury uh, members to come in if I wouldn't have put the gag order. We'll never know. But let's think about the victim. I let the victim speak at the proper time, which is at the time of sentencing. As many as want to, as long as they want to. And I think that should be the norm. If you let people speak ahead of time, all you're doing is giving the defendant who has a right to an appeal, if it's by jury, automatic right of appeal, an opportunity for more allegations it was not a fair and impartial jury, and they can go through the transcript and find out exactly why and who was dismissed and why and what was said. And, of course, everybody's got a bias. Yes, we had to keep these people. They heard it, but they said they could be fair and impartial. But is that really true? And so now you've opened it up for the Court of Appeals, who's not in the courtroom, who didn't hear the evidence, because reading it and hearing it are two different things. And so the victims, aren't they re-victimized if the Court of Appeals says new trial? Or, oh, of course. Yeah. So let's do it on the front end, do it the right way, and then in the back end, give them all the time they need to testify. Mm -hmm. Change the Crime Victims' Rights Act to not just read victim, 
but victim is defined as anyone affected by the crime. So that people who do what I did don't get victimized like me, bullied like me, because I let everybody speak in their public courtroom. Broaden it. Give people their voice at the right time. You say you've been bullied on the bench. Absolutely. Who bullies you? You don't have to be yeah. name a name. So I, um, male judges have bullied me. Uh, female judges have bullied me. Uh, I have had two of the my best female judge friends have retired because of bullying. There are a number of female judges around uh, the country who have retired, a, a few more in Michigan who I know who have retired or step down because they can't take the bullying. When I was pregnant with my twins, the chief judge called and said, so I hear you need a lot of time off. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, I hear you're pregnant and need a lot of time off. I said, did you talk to my doctor? Do you know something I don't know? I said, I've never taken maternity leave off. When I had my middle child, I delivered her on a Thursday, and by Wednesday I was arguing a case in front of the Court of Appeals and won. So I don't know what you're talking about. And then he sort of, he backed off. But I was, you know, I've copied off bench books. Bench books, um, thankfully, the Michigan Judicial Institute has a lot of bench books, and they are 300 to 800 pages. Printed them off. I'm used to reading paper. I like to tab them, so I have them on the bench. Chief judge came and accused me of stealing paper. So I bought four boxes of paper and brought them in. He didn't bother to ask. I had my own printer, my own computer, and I bring in my own paper regardless. Another judge came in and accused me and said, well, you know, you're, you're teaching and you're doing all these things, and, you know, they're going to say that you're, um, you know, not a good judge. And I said, well, did you know that the state court administrator's office knows that I'm teaching? Because two hours a week I was teaching um, either from like 8 to 10 or 9 to 11 or 3 to 5. But I don't take lunch hours. I said, why don't you check my key card and see how many hours I put in. I put in more than the 40 hours. No one was willing to do that. Why? And it, and it why goes are on. they doing this? I think because I'm outspoken, because when there's a problem, I speak up, because I speak up for the little guy, because I call them on their crap, and I don't really know. I, I try to do the best job I can. I think they don't like that I'm in headlines. Many, you know, everybody's, like you said, familiar with Nasser, but I said no to the Detroit bankruptcy. I had the um, Dr. Mercer, who was, who's passed now, but allegedly killed his wife. I had Ricky Holland, who the adoptive parents uh, murdered him. I've had a lot of high-profile cases. I've been in the media. The computer and God put me there. I did nothing to do that. Um, I do not believe in that's the way it's always been done. When you say that to me, I'm going to undo whatever it is that you've just told me, because that tells me that we need to look under that carpet because something's wrong. And I'm always the one who says, we're not doing that today. In fact, my staff says, why is it always you who speaks up? Well, somebody has to. And I never worry about the consequence to me. They want to get me off the bench. I will go take other employment. I will always be employed. I have enough confidence in myself that I'm going to do the right thing and to hell with anybody else. I have to live with myself. And I'd rather be the voice than the silent one who is a co-conspirator to any crime or any negativity. As I always say, don't just take a, a seat at the table, because there's that whole thing about take a seat at the table, right? I want to take a seat at the table 
be prepared and be the light, the chandelier that shines on everyone. And I think that is our role in the world. And I will not be a silent woman ever. No, I can't see you being <laughs> no. I can't see you being silent. You know, Waylon Jennings says in a song, he says, uh, there's one in every crowd for crying out loud. Why is it always turning out to be me? <laughs> I, yeah, that's <laughs> You're me. You're the one in every crowd. Yes. I also think it's you know, being a woman, even in this day and age, I've had to fight through so many barriers because I'm a woman. Um, I'm not going to apologize for being a woman. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street. Essential television. You were the first female JAG officer. I was. And uh, my paperwork sat and sat, and I thought, well, it's because I'm naturalized. They had to do extra paperwork. And it was in part. And then I learned that my paperwork was completed and was sitting on a colonel's desk. So I guess I could have been a woman who says, oh, discrimination and all of that. But why? What I did was use my brains. I just said, I'm going to volunteer. So I volunteered, called up the colonel and said, I know the paperwork's there. Let me volunteer and get ahead of the game. I know you're busy doing a lot of court, court marshals and all that other. And he said, okay. So I showed up. I was a lot younger, thinner, and prettier then. And I showed up in the tightest jeans I could fit into, that, like Elvis painted jeans on, right? <laughs> got, it, got the picture. And my cowboy boots, because I've always been wearing cowboy boots. And a, a reasonable shirt. And I showed up, did my work. We were in the second floor of the building at that time. And about 10.30 is when everybody takes a little coffee break. So I went down knowing the general would be there and the colonels. And I just sort of sauntered in and took my time. Hello. And I got my uh, muffin and my coffee. And by the time I made it upstairs again, the colonel had the phone in his hand pointing between me and the phone and him. And I could hear the general screaming. Who is that woman? Why is that woman here? And he said, she's going to be one of us. Her paperwork's been approved. And he says, well, where is the paperwork? He said, I think in the colonel's office next to you. And the general screamed, get that woman in a uniform. The very next weekend, I was sworn in. The rest of that story is they took the contract. They took out six years and put eight. I said, sir, please put 20. I will stay my 20. He swears me in, and then he says to me, Aquilina, the only thing that would have been better is if you were black. Because I was the only minority they had. Yeah, there you go. And there I go. So you made it uncomfortable. Yes. <laughs> well, it worked, and you did put in 20. 
I did put in 20, and I won so many cases and kept in so many people at, uh, at one particular camp uh, where I saved a lot of careers um, because they had done sloppy work, and I had done my homework. And I cross-examined a lot of commanders, and they were shaking and turning red. And basically, it was entertaining for me to watch under cross-examination, which is a lot of fun, as you know. And uh, I walked out of the building, and one of the commanders was walking around in circles and said, Aquilina, you're a barracuda. And the name stuck. So I became the barracuda. Yeah. But at least in uniform. That's right. And, and you know, I have to say, though, in regard to the military— I love the military. I know there's problems. There's problems everywhere. But I always felt that when I was in that uniform, I wasn't a woman. I wasn't a man. I was simply a human being who was part of a finely tuned machine. And that is such a unique feeling as a woman. It's really the only time I felt that I wasn't wearing a label other than my rank. Yeah, that levels the playing field, doesn't it? Absolutely. It's an incredible feeling, very powerful. And it's kind of that way on the bench, even though you may take some guff from colleagues on the bench. When you're on the bench, that robe, that levels the playing field, too. It does in, in the public's eye. I yeah, mean, that's what I mean. I, yeah, I, I do have a lot of power. I try to use the robe as a good witch, not a bad witch, you know. Um, I try to do the best that I can and can't make everybody happy. But as the saying goes, when both sides are unhappy, you've done your job. How long will you stay on the bench? I am slated to stay on till I age out, which is 74. Uh, I do have a lot of other opportunities that are being offered to me. And so I don't know. I can't commit, but my original goal was to stay on till I'm 74. I love my job. Um, but I also have a number of opportunities and my mindset is that when someone makes you an offer, you respect them and your work and see if it fits with your goals. Because I also like the creative side. I like to write. Um, I love being on your show. I love talking to people. I do motivational speaking and I find that I can touch a lot of people that way and do the good that I think I'm supposed to be doing. We talked about things that are happening around the country, and there's a situation in the news right now where a young 16-year-old filed a complaint against an 18-year-old for rape, and they agreed to a bench trial, and the judge gave a ruling on one out of three charges of guilty. There were mandatory sentencing guidelines of four years in the penitentiary. And when they came back for sentencing, he said, I don't want to send this young man to prison for four years, so I'm going to reverse my ruling and declare him not guilty. He spent 154 days in the county jail, and that's plenty of time, so I'm going to vacate my prior verdict and say not guilty. and send him home. I want to break precedent here for just a minute and drop in an insert of a conversation I was privileged to have with Judge Aquilina on a recent show I taped for Dr. Phil. It involved a case involving a young woman named Cameron. 
and I think it's self-explanatory. But since I was actually interviewing Judge Aquilina, both for the podcast and also as part of an episode, and I thought it was really relevant and shows a lot about her wisdom from the bench, I wanted to include it here. So that clip from a Dr. Phil episode follows right now. I feel that it is so important for me to speak out as a sexual assault victim. I recently posted about what happened to me on social media. Throughout all this, I've had people I know and people I don't know reach out to me and tell me their stories. All of the other girls said that they have regretted not speaking up about what had happened to them, and them seeing my story has kind of pushed them to do so. A judge in Illinois is under fire after he reversed a guilty verdict in a teenage sexual assault case, freeing the 18-year-old teenager accused of sexually assaulting 16-year-old Cameron Vaughn at a high school graduation party. Now, I wanted to bring in Ingham County, Michigan, Circuit Court Judge uh, Rosemarie Aquilina. Now, she is most notable for presiding over the 2018 USA Gymnastics sex abuse scandal, sentencing Larry Nasser to up to 175 years in prison. Now, she encouraged his victims to speak out and have a voice just like Cameron is doing. Uh, Judge, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. You had how many victims come into courtroom and speak out? 156 sister survivors, but 169 altogether because I read victim in the crime victim rights statute broadly. Anybody who's touched by a crime should be able to speak because it's their courtroom. Yeah. Many of those said that it was that one event that meant more to them than everything else that had happened since they had been violated. Did that I don't think that surprised you, or you wouldn't have done it. I've always done that, and you can watch the transformation. You can feel people literally taking their power back, saying, I am not a number, I am a name, you hurt me. It doesn't matter whether it's a rape or a home invasion, but they need that public forum to say, this is wrong, there's an injustice, and I'm standing up against it. And they start to <clears throat> heal because they now can own their voice. Cameron, in this case, has not had that opportunity. A lot of judges have complained about you doing this because they've said, well, hell, now I have to do it. That's true. I've been stopped by judges who say, Aquilina, we can't do less than you. How dare you? Well, okay, go pour coffee, be on the golf course, take a different job. I'm here to do mine. I'd just like to say thank you for doing what you do. Thank you. Now, I, I want to talk about this judge um, Adrian, that did what he did, and says, okay, not guilty. So to her, not guilty means this didn't happen to you. What the hell? The justice system is broken, and I'm terribly sorry about that. Before I say any more, I just want to say to her that I hear you, I believe you, I see you, you matter, and... I stand with you, and I wish that I was in the robe and you were in my courtroom, and I could tell you that from that power of position 
because we really do have the best justice system in the world. It's just that judges that don't pay attention and follow the law make it an injustice system. Here in this case, we have judge nullification. The elements were all there. The admissions were there. And the judge took it upon himself to nullify it all, to be the prosecutor, to be the judge, to be the jury, and to be the appellate body. So there was a procedure to do this. And who knows what was in Judge Adrian's mind that day, but he made a mistake in this. Would you agree? Absolutely. What he did is took his own personal feelings, which is not an element of any crime, which we caution jurors against, and he put his feelings right in there. But to toss it out and disregard that the elements were met, that is a violation of law. Well, we reached out to Drew Clinton's uh, attorney. He did not respond to our request for comment, but he has publicly vehemently denied that his client raped Cameron and said that Clinton has maintained from the beginning that he believed that this was a consensual encounter. God put N and O in the alphabet together for a reason. It spells no. She said no at the beginning of the night. She said stop. If you are having consensual sex and a woman or a man says stop, you stop. If you continue, it's rape. Yeah. That's the law. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, I want to hear from uh, Scott and uh, Cameron uh, right after the break. Uh, coming up, more with Judge Aquilina. We're right back. He re-victimized the victim. And what he did was he wore the hat of the trial court and the appellate court. There is an appellate process. If there was an error, then it should have gone through the appellate process for him to make a finding, a valid um, finding, which it sounds like he did, you cannot withdraw a valid um, sentence. You, you simply can't. Uh, what he could have done, I suspect, I don't know uh, all the rules there, but if I want to depart from a mandatory uh, sentence, I can make a record and say uh, whatever it is, that they've served enough time, that it serves the public interest, that he's not a danger. There's, there's a lot of things that you can do to depart downward. But if it's mandatory, it's mandatory. If he meets the elements, then that's called the Court of Appeals. And if he doesn't like that, you go over to the legislature, which I do quite often, and say, I need this changed, and here's why. But you cannot wear all hats. Right now, doing what he did, um, he acted as the trial court and the appellate court and the legislature and the prosecutor. <laughs> I mean, he did so many things in one fell swoop by simply saying, well, yeah, I found you guilty, but you did enough. And so now I'm going to erase the record because now that there's double jeopardy applies. So now there's nothing indicating what happened, which means a slap on the wrist. Um, he could, if he is a true predator, he will victimize someone else again. Well, she was 16, he was 18, and he pled guilty. You and cannot were, withdraw a guilty, uh, a valid there, plea. There were three charges. One was rape with force. One was rape with someone that could not give consent. And the other was digital penetration. And he said, not guilty, not guilty, and guilty on digital penetration, which there was evidence, the same evidence for all three. 
but he said not guilty on the first two, even though he pled guilty to all three, which didn't make sense to me. But then he reversed the third and said not guilty and sent him home. And so now, as you say, double jeopardy attaches. He can't appeal it. And she is devastated, and he is devastated. He was two weeks past 18, I understand. And she was blackout drunk. So at 16, she can't give consent. Past 0.08, she can't give consent. So clearly, she couldn't give consent. I mean, and he pled guilty. She's re-victimized, and she's also basically, this is sending out the message that if you drink, you're guilty. If, you know, you're sleeping, you're guilty. You're guilty, you're guilty, because, and you can be raped. And he gets a pass. If you're incapacitated, you can't, as you say, give consent. And you are not guilty of sleeping or, or drinking or whatever. You shouldn't be guilty of being a party to his crime. And they're basically saying it's your fault to the victim. And it's absolutely not her fault. It is solely the perpetrator's fault. And the judge cannot be um, the court of appeals in any case. When I have a case, I've had cases. Let me just tell you, I have a few cases that I think the defendant, for various reasons, should not be incarcerated because new evidence has come to light of uh, bad conduct on the part of the sheriff's office or the prosecutor. And I have tried to say, can we get a new trial sooner? The answer is no. And uh, I have to wait for them to file an appeal. And now what we call 6300, the final motion. And now I'm saying, and you get a new trial. They've been incarcerated all this time. I can't act as the appellate court. I have to wait for it to go through the process. This judge circumvented all of the safeguards that we have in our, in our legal system and wore all hats. How is that possible? Yeah, it just seems there were ways to do this if he felt like, Four years in prison was not just for this young man. There were ways to get there yes. without doing this. He just says, this is too harsh. You, you know, I, I'll put him on probation. I will, um, I'm making a finding and go through a departure to a lower sentence and make that record. Because he also, I think, if it's the case I'm thinking of, didn't he also say that he thought that law was unconstitutional? Yes. Well, okay, that wasn't in front of him. Right. That wasn't something he was being asked to rule on. So I, I was just curious if, if you thought that was outside his purview. It's way outside. might be outside of my purview to say so, but as I said, I'm not a silent woman. So, yeah, it's outside his purview. Yeah. Um, I would not have done that. I would wait for it to go through the process and do what I can do then, as yeah. I've done in other cases. Yeah. He could have also met with the lawyers. He could have talked about changing the charges. He could have. There are a lot of things he could have done and stayed within the scope of the trial. There are a number of things he could have done here. He could have said, okay, I don't like this plea deal, or I don't like this evidence. Um, where are we going with this? Yeah. And the prosecutor could have said, okay, I'll dismiss this. I'll do new charges. I'll offer a new deal, whatever. We can't, as judges, be part of the negotiation of a plea deal. Um, but there's certain things he could have done. There was a case that was brought to me where it was a child abuse neglect case, and the 
Dad was uh, charged with child abuse, but went through CPS and all of that. The mom was nowhere to be found. He was rehabilitated. It wasn't, he just got real angry and struck a child. Not that that's right, but he went through two years with CPS of rehabilitative programs and did so well, the children were returned to him. The prosecutor, as their plea deal in front of me, was going to send him away for two years. And, of course, I learned the backstory because I asked. And I learned the children were with him. And I said, I'm not accepting this. We can go to trial. You can do whatever you want, but I won't accept this. You just made a promise to those children that they would be with their father. Now the whole system has lied to them, and who we're punishing is the children. So you decide what you want to do. We can take this to a jury, but I will not plead today. They came back, and they said, okay, how about two years probation? I said, great. You can make a difference if there is a wrong in a case. Yeah, and like you say, you're not negotiating it for them, but you can also message what you're willing to agree to and what you're not. Right. And they can go back and say, yeah, we need to talk this over again because she ain't going for it. Right. And, you know, my question in that case, too, and I hate to even say this, but it's the world we live in. If that young man was black, what would the outcome have been? Yeah. Would it have been different? And the answer is, sadly, very likely. Yes, I see that all the time on my bench. Yeah. Here is a continuation of the conversation I had with Judge Aquilina regarding Cameron and her father, Scott, after the judge had reversed his ruling about the young man that he had prior ruled as being guilty. Well, I'm back with uh, Judge Aquilina, uh, Cameron, who I spoke to earlier, and her father, Scott. Scott, let me ask you first, you've heard uh, what Judge Aquilina had to say here. What's your reaction to what the judge here has to say about this matter? I feel like everything she says is correct. I, I, I wish she would have been the judge in this case. A lot of people wish she would have been the judge in their cases. You know, Cameron, I wanted you to hear from Judge Aquilina here. How do you respond to what the judge has had to say here? She seems like a really good judge and just she will actually look at the facts and understand what's going on with the situation, unlike the judge in my case. It was important to me for you to hear from another judge that respects the law, that has studied your case, because I don't want anything to cheapen this experience for you at all. So I, I just wanted you to hear that. Thank you. And I hope you take that to heart. We'll be right back. You said you write. When do you write these books? Are you a binge writer? Do you write a little at a time? I like to write something every day. Uh, it's my self-care. I think that if you don't do self-care, you self-implode. So I write, I paint, I cook, I, I do lots of things. But I write and, and it gets stress out. Uh, we talked about bullying on the bench. I've been bullied enough where I have thought, I'm going to kill somebody, you know? We've all had those moments. So that's how All Rise was born. I was mad at the chief judge and I sat down and, and wrote it. And of course, it's about a judge who... Uh, is bullied on the bench and says, I'd rather be a hairdresser. So she runs off. She becomes a hairdresser, opens a salon and coffee shop because I love coffee. She wears cowboy boots like me and all of that. And as she's opening her salon, uh, she gets arrested for killing the chief judge because he's been murdered. 
And of course, everything can be solved in a hair salon. It's really a big, <laughs> yes, of course. And so it's a big romp. You know, her staff comes with her. Some of the defendants who, she, who she's rehabilitated come work there. And it's a lot of fun. But when I'm stressed out, when someone bullies me, I can create whatever fiction I want and kill them off or slap them or uplift them. And it's just a lot of fun. And it de-stresses me. So I try to write every day, but especially when I'm upset, I write, I take out my frustrations, not on someone else, not on myself, but on the pages. Well, you've written three books and one on the way, and I think it's finished. Uh, Just Watch Me is inaudible. Reese Witherspoon um, talked to me about my story and said, we've got to have the story. And so uh, Hello Sunshine and Audible and, and Reese um, we produced that last year. I um, taped it. It's only an audible, but as of middle, hopefully by Valentine's, um, it will be out in book form because so many people have said, I want it and I want you to sign it. So, and not everybody likes audible. They, they like to read. Mm -hmm. I love audible because I drive around, I cook, I listen to stories, I catch up on my reading, but I also am someone who likes to hold the books. So all of my books come in all forms. And just Watch Me is totally all about you. It's about me. It's it's about some of the things we've talked about, how I grew up, why, why I've done the things I've done, some of the stories uh, of cases that I've done and what I've learned, uh, like asking, you know, what would you like me to know? How can I help? Instead of that awful why question, you know, why needs to be retired in science? Why were you wearing that? Why were you there? Uh, why did you drink so much? Why didn't you make your bed? Why didn't you do your homework? That shames and blames, right? When I ask you a why question, you want to run away. Give me the short answer and get out of there, right? But when I say, what would you like me to know and how can I help? You tell me what you're feeling. And I talk about those kinds of things and how I learned those lessons. Is it going to become a biopic? I hope so. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Is that why Reese is involved? Um. You know, Reese was involved because after the Nasser uh, case, she just really wanted to know how I knew to do what I did and said, there's a story there and you have to write it. And I said, aren't I too young to, I have a lot more to do. And she said, no, you, you need to tell this. So. Yeah. No, it's not too early to, to do that. I agree. You know, I, I'm just me. I, I've always done the same things, and I'm still astonished when people think that anything I do is is special or different because I feel like I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So I was really honored um, when she asked me to do that. I'm always honored to be on your show and with your by your audience. Um, I just am, I don't know how to be somebody else. I'm just someone who wants to make sure that our kids have a better future. Well, even by being bullied some on the bench and stuff, which can't be fun and all, are, are you having fun doing what you're doing? Do you like what you're doing? I like what I'm doing. I feel like I make a difference. And more important, I'm contacted by people every single day saying thank you. And that is truly meaningful to me that they trust me with their stories that they share their lives with me and that uh, I've made just a tiny difference in, you know, you can change history in a big way, but when you change an individual's history, that's enough. If you made a bad choice and were a defendant, would you want you for a judge? Yes. I'm not an enabler. Uh, I will um, help you to do better, but you will have to do the hard work. 
I treat everybody in front of me how I want my family to be treated or how I would want to be treated. And I think that's the old country sort of style that I was raised in. But um, the answer is yes, because I listen. And because the decisions that I make, I think, are, are not just thoughtful, but include that backstory so that the next chapter in someone's life is going to be a meaningful worthwhile one on a different path than they were on. Mm. At least that's what I hope. If you weren't a lawyer and subsequently a judge, and you've been very successful at both because you had your own law firm and you were very successful at that, you were successful in the military, in the JAG role, and now on the bench. If you weren't doing this, if you hadn't gone down this path in your life, what would you be doing? I would have been, I was an English major. I wanted to be a writer my whole life. And I would have been writing since the time I graduated from high school and in college. And when I said to my father, when he said, what are you going to go to college for? I said, I'm going to be a writer. He acted like I was going to go to Hollywood and make movies. And of course, not very many people get to do that. And um, he wanted me to be a doctor. No one wants me to be a doctor or a vet. It just isn't in me. I don't understand math or science. And so out of that voice fighting with my dad, I said, fine. You know, he said, how are you going to support yourself? Well, I said, fine. I'll go to law school. And I did that because doctors overall hate lawyers. It's been a great career. It's given me a lot of stories for my writing, and it hasn't stopped me because I've continued to write. Yeah. Well, you've got Two of your siblings are doctors. One's a lawyer. Your dad's a doctor. So, yeah. And my youngest sister is a lawyer. My brothers are doctors. My dad's a doctor. So he got, the boys are doctors. I don't know that they had a choice, but yeah. they both are very good at what they do. And my sister's a lawyer. Um, I don't know that she would have wanted to be a lawyer, but she couldn't be less than us. And so she's the friend of the court now in uh, Ingham County. She does an excellent job. But I think she would have wanted to be something creative like a jeweler. But when you have a father who wants to direct you, you have to find your own voice. And hers was following my path. And I wish she would have had her own voice. But she's very happy in what she does. Mm -hmm. Well, at least you know what you would have done instead. And you're doing both, so. Yes, because again, no one makes those choices. I make my life choices. And however long it takes me to get there, I'm in the driver's seat, not someone else, not even my father. Yeah. Well, at least you know when you're doing them both. I'd have probably been selling shrimp out of a van down by the river. I don't know <laughs> if I wasn't doing this. Well, you would have made a lot of people happy because as you're selling shrimp, you would have also solved their problems. Yeah. That's just you. So. <laughs> I'd have made a good deal on the shrimp, probably. Yeah. Thanks for talking to me today. Thanks for inviting me. Always a pleasure. I'm sure we'll be talking a lot in the future. I think you have a lot to say, a lot of things people want to hear. And um, if I was going to be a defendant, I would definitely want to be in front of you because I think you would take it all in, weigh it all, and give a balanced view. And for those that are critical of you listening to the backstory, letting everybody have their say and weighing it all and making a studied decision and rendering a studied opinion, you know, if people want to criticize that, just have at it. Because most people aren't willing to invest that much into another person's situation. And God bless you for doing it. Thank you. 
If you ever want to watch, we're on Zoom now, too. So you can Zoom into my courtroom from anywhere in the world. Really? Yes. And how do you do that? I can give you the number. You can put it in your feed, but they just have to go to Zoom and join meeting and put in the number. And uh, most days we're there. So people can do that. And people do. I have people from Germany and Australia and all sorts of places watching. And they're curious about our legal system. Well, for all of you that want to do that, then we're going to post that up so they can see you do what you do. All right. You can see her on Dr. Phil. We've got a great story that actually turned into two different episodes that involved the University of Michigan and their terrible sexual exploitation scandal that involved over a thousand different people that uh, will be coming up soon. And uh, then we have another episode you're going to be involved in. So thank you for being so generous with your time and wisdom with us in that forum as well. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks so much. Okay, guys, we'll talk to you soon. So long. 